you know, I always say time kills all deals. And I think it's all about timing. And I think it's becoming more and more crucial with recruiting good candidates to your company because if they don't have a good experience, even on the very beginning, applying to your company, if your ATS system is junky or they have to repeat information, that's just, it starts with a bad experience. And so cleaning all that up from the beginning is super important. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I'm your host, Jackie Koch. And today we are diving into all things candidate experience in the specifically in the hiring process and why it matters, what it is, all of that stuff so that you can make sure you are providing a great candidate experience to make sure you're getting and landing the best candidates for your open jobs. Today I'm joined by a guest, Caroline Pennington. Caroline is an executive search recruiter with over a decade of experience working in the staffing and recruiting industries. She's been primarily on the agency side of recruiting, and she's placed individuals ranging from entry level to CEOs and everything in between. She's worked with startups, small businesses, and Fortune 500 companies all across the U.S. She even has a digital course called How to Hire Top Talent to teach other entrepreneurs and HR professionals all about hiring the best candidates for their businesses. And so, so excited for you to listen in as we have a conversation all about providing a great candidate experience. I also share a story in which I had a terrible candidate experience and the impact that had afterwards. So welcome to the show. Caroline, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to chat and dive into this meaty topic with you today. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Of course, of course. I always like to jam out with other fellow recruiting veterans and and those of us crazy ones that are out here doing this for a living. So (laughs) thanks for coming on. It's like whiplash. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm constantly just like literally having whiplash. (laughs) There's no gray. It's like black or white, like you're all in or you're all out. Like there's no gray that I've met of anyone that's stuck in this industry for as long as we have. Yeah, for sure. Recruiting is sales. And I always say you cannot get too high on the highs and too low on the lows because it's just a roller coaster. Um, And I think the last two years, I feel that for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, super excited to dig in with you today. What I would love to start with is can you just give listeners an overview of your background, what you do, um, and and all of that, a quick little snippet. Sure. And speaking of roller coasters, I actually got into staffing and recruiting in 2010. And so the economy was completely tanked. Nobody was hiring. I was I went into the executive search firm as a as a candidate and they interviewed me and they ended up hiring me internally. So then I jump on the phone, I'm calling on these companies, these executives about, hey, let me help you with your hiring needs. <laughs> they were hanging up on me, cussing me out, everything. I was seriously considering like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> so I've made a placement within my first 30 days though, and the rest is history. So I've got 15 years of experience on the agency side. I started doing temporary staffing, uh, low level entry-level positions. And now I do executive search retain positions. Um, I've done everything in between. I've staffed all throughout the country, U.S., startups, Fortune 500, you name it. 
Awesome. I think, uh, or not, I think I know, I don't think we've ever defined what the different types of recruiting is. So you mentioned you've done temporary staffing. Can you share it with listeners, describe what that is? Sure. Temporary staffing, we had, we were set up so that we could payroll these individuals as W2 employees and provide them benefits with the particular firm I was working for at the time. But that setup is similar to to an employee. But typically when you hire a temporary employee, you have a set amount of time that they are temporary or it's what we call temp to hire. Temp to hire usually is a 90 day period, could go 120 days. But with, it's with the intention of actually hiring them as a full-time employee. It's like a try before you buy scenario. And that's a try before you buy for the candidate too, because see if they want to work there, you know? Right, right. What types of scenarios do people typically use like a temporary staffing firm for? Like if there's a listener um, listening, like when would they, con- when should they consider engaging or working with a temporary staffing firm? I would say if it's a first hire, like you think you might need this person, but you might not, you're kind of testing the waters. I would say if you recently had layoffs and you don't want to commit to actually hiring someone full-time, it's a good scenario. Um, or if you need somebody to come in for an ad hoc project, um, maybe you have something big going on for a three-month period, six-month period, and you just need some extra hands. Um, those are the three scenarios, I'd say. I would also say, I would add to that, that there's usually types of roles that are better suited for that type of work. Um, I would say the higher level, more skilled, more um, professional. I always, sometimes I feel like these words sound like I'm describing someone, other jobs in poor light, but more manual labor, shift work, those types of work can can lend themselves well to, you know, some temporary staffing. Um, I also had was in temporary staffing for warehouse work and um, manufacturing jobs when I first started my career. Um, and often it was, you know, shift work that they weren't, they were like staffing up because they needed to have more output for some reason. And they weren't sure how long that output was going to be needed. Right. Um, so they're like, Hey, we're going to staff up a, a third shift. And then we may end up needing these people full time for other shifts or long term on third shift was often what I would see. Um, and I think is a good example. Or even like in healthcare, I feel like there's a lot of temporary staffing in healthcare. Yeah, I had a client one time that was an insurance firm of property casualty, and they would staff up two to three hundred people for four months just during hurricane season, and they would just service claims in the Florida, Texas, Louisiana, South Carolina areas. It was wild staffing for them, but. And they were all claims processors, which is a kind of, I mean, it's a skilled role. Not everyone can just do that, you know? For sure. For sure. Um, okay. Amazing. So that, so that's kind of defined. So what's the difference between uh, a contingency recruiter and a retained recruiter? Great question. So contingency recruiter, there's no commitment there. So the firm, the company can work with as many firms as they choose. Um, and the recruiter, it's no harm, no foul. If you place the person, if you find the person, place the person, they stay past the guarantee, you get paid the fee. A retained search is you're in an exclusive relationship. You are paid a fee up front, typically another fee when it's interviews start and the last third of the fee after the person starts. Um, and that is an exclusive relationship where you get access to candidates that apply and then you go out and hunt on your own. And so usually, is there benefits or drawbacks, I guess, why would, why in your experience do clients go one way or the other? 
I have opinions on this, but I'm curious. Yeah. I'd love to hear your opinion too. So in my experience, I just staff at the director level up now. So director, VP and executive suite. You want to be in an exclusive relationship with a recruiter, specifically in a retained search for those types of roles. Number one, because the candidates at that level, they won't work with you if you're contingency. They'll and they'll ask you, they'll say, Are you do you have the search retained or contingent? And you better not say contingent because you're not they're not gonna work with you. The candidate won't won't work with you, right? Yeah, I've had executives tell me, Well, I haven't had I've had them say, Great, I'm glad you have this retained because if this was contingent, we wouldn't be working together. Why why is that? I mean, I mean, I think I know, but for listeners, um, I want them to understand what that message can be to a candidate and why it's so critical that you know this. It means that the company is taking that search and your relationship with the recruiter very seriously. When you're on a retained search. When you're on a retained search. Yep. Because if I'm working a contingent search, if I know that there's 10 other recruiters in town working it, I'm not that motivated to work it. If I have an exclusive relationship with you and now I'm getting paid and now I'm going to find the right fit for you, then I'm going to work really hard. When you're building a relationship, all of that stuff, um, for sure. Yes, absolutely. It's not just about getting paid. It's about the relationship. So smart, talented candidates, especially leadership roles, have worked with recruiters before. So they also know that. So... If you say, "Hey, I'm a, I, I have this on contingent or or whatever," they two like a, a few different things can happen. One, they're like, "Okay, this company is not taking this job that seriously. Doesn't really care who they fill. They just need somebody." Or that high level person is getting reached out to by five different recruiters about the same job, and it makes you as a business owner look like you don't really care or know what's going on when that happens. Um, so contingency, I don't, I don't personally ever see a reason to do contingent hiring if you really are screening and have a great recruiting partner. Um, however, some people, especially those that have been in business for a long time, that's what they've always done. That's what they want. They don't, they don't want to have to pay a fee until somebody can like produce the results. It's almost like, show me what you got and then I'll pay you, which I get because you can get burned sometimes, but making that decision often leaves you with not as many great candidates in my experience. So we're kind of talking about the candidate experience already, and that's really what I want to talk to you about on this show because I feel like a broke record all the time talking about how candidate experience is so important. You've been doing this a really long time. When do you think the biggest shift happened to, I think you always had a, creating a great candidate experience was always important, but I do feel like there was a big shift over the last, I don't know, few years or 10 years, but is there any time that you remember, like, when do you remember the candidate experience being such an important part of a hiring process? I think the more Gen Zs that come into the workforce and the, um, that's, they, they're driving on that and they're a huge percentage of the workforce right now. And they demand that. And I think some, um, other generations that just wasn't something that was expected, but it is expected now. And I think it's a great thing because, you know, I always say time kills all deals. And for me, 
if the candidate doesn't hear back quickly about an interview or get, get, gets a response or gets doesn't hear back on an offer, counter offer within a timely period, that doesn't feel good and it leads to not a good experience. So I think it's all about timing and I think it's becoming more and more crucial with recruiting good candidates to your company because if they don't have a good experience, even on the very beginning, applying to your company, if your ATS system is junky or they have to repeat information, that's just, it starts with a bad experience. And so cleaning all that up from the beginning is super important. I do. I agree. I think it's a generational thing. I think it started to happen when millennials were really starting to get into the workforce for sure. Um, and then I would say over the last for sure five years, remote work, you know, there's a lot more, um, there is a lot more opportunity for people. Um, there is, and they can, you're now competing against global, you're, you're competing against companies in Europe, not just the company down the street. Right. So I think that's driving up it as well as, as a variety of things that I'm sure, uh, or actually I've touched on on prior episodes for sure. So I'm sure if you haven't listened go back and listen to those episodes, there's a bunch of things driving it, but what is candidate experience to you? Um, I think for a lot of people listening, if they're hiring, they're like, uh, they just, candidates just want to be paid. They don't want to work. They, you know, like all of these things they have in their head of what it means to create a candidate and an employee experience. But what do you see and how would you describe providing a great candidate experience? What is it? It's a feeling, which the feeling, that word is hard because you can't control people's feelings, but you can help it to be a positive, a positive feeling with a positive experience. What does that look like? That's different for everybody. But as long as you at least have a process in place that creates that positive experience, and you could, you know, learn that from working with a recruiting partner, an HR partner, you know, outside consultant. Um, but that experience of them having a, that feeling is is my answer. And that's a hard one to define because it's not something you can put your finger on. I mean, I feel like, uh, sorry, I'm answering my own questions when I'm asking. No, I want to hear what you have to say. The candidate experience is is definitely it's le- it is making it simple and simple for them to go through the process. So it starts with the app. It starts with like how they even learn about your job, right? It starts with that. Like, is the job description written in a, or the job posting, I should say, written in a way that makes me excited to learn more? Or is it just a copy and pasted job description that an HR department put, created 20 years ago that is like not even relevant anymore? Because that's what the majority of them are, let's be honest. So is it actually crafted in a way that I can see myself working in this job and enjoying that? Because that then creates a feeling of like, oh, I want to learn more about this, right? And then once you go to apply, is it a simple process for doing so? Or do you have to create a login to an applicant tracking system and then re-enter all of your work history from forever ago when you really can just send over a resume? Um, are you trying to... Which takes like three hours, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, I think I read a study that if you have to make more, there's a certain amount of clicks. If it's like more than 20 clicks in order to submit a job, candidates are not going to do it. I believe it. And 
for a lot of people listening, they're like, that's because they don't want to work. You know, if you are, if you're like a a Gen X or a a boomer listening to this, you know what? That's true for when you were looking for a job, but that's not true anymore. (laughs) Like it's not true anymore. So it's like, you got to make it simple and good top A talent is not actively looking for a job. Like keep that in mind. Like they're not looking on LinkedIn for jobs or wherever they go to apply for it. They are getting recruited. They are getting tapped on the shoulder like, hey, take a look at this. And so if they're like, oh, that's interesting. And they have to fill out a 30 question application. They're like, bullshit. I don't need a new job. Like I don't need to, I don't need this, you know? Um, so it starts there. And then it's candidate experiences making sure they feel prepared for every step in the process that you get back to them timely. Um, which I guess I'll ask you, like, what does timely mean to you? Like how quickly should you respond and get back to people? I know companies always say, well, we can't respond to everybody. And I understand that too. But if we have a top candidate, let's say a candidate we've sought out, tapped on the shoulder, we need to make sure they have a great experience. And so that definitely means a response. It means make, making the application processes, like you said, setting, I would say, in my opinion, I would say, go ahead and communicate through the steps. So if it's three interviews, keep it three interviews. Don't say, oh, no, we have Sally or Joe. We need you to meet, bring you back two more times. Because that person's taking PTO to come to your company. And companies are not aware of that. And that, be true to your word with the steps involved. And then, I mean, if a resume comes to you and it's a great candidate, I would say get back to them within 24 to 48 hours at the latest. Gone are the days of like, it's almost like, you know, when you're dating and you're like, oh, well, I don't want to seem desperate. I will get back to that motherfucker within like two minutes of them applying if they're a good fit because somebody else is going to. Like, I don't need to play it cool. Like, I need to fill this job, you know? Yeah, I had I had a client recently, he interviewed a candidate that he fell in love with and he had a trip planned for two and a half weeks. And he said, keep her warm for the next three and a half weeks or next three weeks till I get back. I was like, and this person's single, I was like, so when you go on a date and you have a good time, do you just tell that person like, hey, I'll call you in three weeks when I get back from vacation? No, you jump online, get on the text, do what you need to do to be engaged with this person and keep them interested. Right. Right. It's exactly what it is. So it's getting back to people timely um, and responding to them and definitely sharing with them that they didn't get the job. Now, Yes, absolutely. People can take it. Sometimes. I don't know about you, but I, I find that the majority of the people who say they want to know the reasons they didn't get the job don't actually want to know those reasons. <laughs> they, they want to argue about those reasons. And so I do find it hard, like it depends at what stage in the process, right? So like if somebody gets declined after a lot of different interviews and it really was a tough decision, I'll get on the call and I'll level set with them and I'll be on a video call or uh, a phone call and I'll be like, look, this is why like I'll give them constructive feedback and I will say like, I'm not saying this is accurate or it's, you know, it is what it is, but this is the reasoning why. And you should know because this is how you were perceived in the interview process. Sometimes people love it. Some Usually if we've developed a relationship to the point where, you know, they're in a final interview, they get it. Um, but it is, I think it's acceptable to be a little bit generic 
earlier on in the process. I don't think you owe it to have to give detailed information at very early stages, but I do think the, the, the more time somebody has spent with you and your team, the more empathetic you should be and forthcoming and honest with them about why they, they did or did not get the job. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, if it's the first, maybe second round, then, you know, this wasn't a fit. That's a very generic answer. But if, yeah, they've taken a lot of time off and come and taken a half day panel interview or whatnot, then yeah, some feedback's definitely warranted. I don't know about you, but I also think the candidate experience is being ready and prepared for the interview. Yes. Like showing up. I can't tell you how many times hiring managers don't show up on time or miss interviews and just like don't even acknowledge it or even care. And it's just so disrespectful. Don't even get me started about that. (laughs) I know. And even like keeping an interview set to a time. I mean, this, again, this person's most likely taking time off from their other job because they're not looking. And then they've come to meet you and we say, okay, plan for an hour, two hours, whatever. Just give us the really realistic expectations. And they keep them for three, four hours. And I'm like, I know it's tough. It's just like, be empathetic, like put yourself into their shoes. Like if you had to go take off of work to go interview for a job, what would you want that to look like? I think what is what it comes down to. And then I think the last thing that I think about when I think about candidate experience is, and how it's changed over the last, I don't, I don't even know while is candidates now are all or, and I guess have always been cu- potential customers. So it's like, if you think about your Yelp reviews, right? Like your candidates ha- are having the same experience of your business in a different capacity. And they, you, you could not end up hiring them and they could refer business to you. They could buy products from you. They could be raving fans. If you give them a great candidate experience, even though they didn't get hired, um, vice versa, right? Like you could give them a really crappy candidate experience and they're going to go tell every single person they know not to buy your product or, or your service. Like I've had that happen to me. I had an interview once with a, a very well-known kombucha company and I went to the interview and I had a really bad experience. I, I guess I'll share what it was. Um, I, Met with the, the co-founder, one of the co-founders, and we were in the conference room. And we were interviewing, and he was distracted the whole time, was like getting text messages left and right, wasn't paying attention. I w- he would ask me a question, I would respond, and his responses made it very obvious that he wasn't listening to me because they were just so unrelated. And in the middle of, I don't know, I think maybe it was 10 minutes in, he gets a phone call and he's like, oh my gosh, I have to go take this. And he walks out of the room and never comes back, <laughs> never comes back. So I'm sitting in the conference room like, what the F? And this, all of a sudden people start coming into the conference room for a meeting. It was like the next meeting time, right? It was like the 30 minute window. So people from the company start coming in and they're like, uh, who are you? I'm like, Hi, I'm Jackie. I'm interviewing for your HR manager job. I was just meeting with the CEO and he got a call and walked out and I've been sitting here for a while. I don't know if I should leave or or what. And they kind of rolled their eyes. So it was obvious that 
he was a little bit of a nightmare to work for. And they, they're like, let me go find him. So one of the guys comes back and he's like, yeah, he says he's learned all he needs to know. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh so my gosh. And I don't even know why I didn't bow out of it at this point, but I think I was just like trying to prove a point. So I was being really nice and I send him an email, a thank you email afterwards. I don't know why I sent him a thank you email. I should have been like, screw off, dude. But I sent him a thank you email. (laughs) Within two seconds of getting my thank you email, he's like, thanks. We went in another direction. (laughs) Oh my God. That is a good, I mean, not a good, good experience. That's a great example of a not a good experience. So bad. So and bad. So then I've, I don't, I really try hard not to buy their kombucha brand anymore. And I've told a lot of people this, I'm not going to blast them on this podcast because I'm nice, but I just, and I, it was, a, it was a local company to where I lived at the time. And, you know, I was in the startup scene and I've heard rumors about him and they just happened to be true. So anyways, wow. it was, it was a crazy, that was a bad experience. Right. And, and I, yeah, and I, that's a, that's a terrible one. It's an example of how I don't buy their products. I would have been, I could have been a raving fan. I'd tell people not to buy their products. I definitely poached candidates from them. Like I knew it was a shitty place to work. So whenever I had a job I needed to fill, I was stealing their employees. <laughs> right. Which is costing him a lot more money than it would have been just to be nice for like exactly. 10 more minutes. <laughs> exactly. So anyways, I don't even remember where we are out of that, but it reminded me of that story. I think it's just, it was a wild experience. Um, so candidate experience matters. Don't do that. <laughs> do not. I don't care how busy you are. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, because it will, it definitely will, you will not get top talent. You will lose top talent if you, if, Absolutely. you, if you do not provide and care about the candidate experience. Um, awesome. Well, is there anything else that any wisdom or anything that you feel like we haven't covered that we should for listeners to, to get a glimpse into the candidate experience? I think just following the golden rule to treat others, how you want to be treated. And that's it. It is so simple, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It really is. Well, awesome. Well, how can listeners learn a little bit more about how to work with you? Um, what markets do you serve and, and all of that? Sure. So I've recently created a digital course. I've got an Instagram page, how to hire top talent, how to hire your top talent.com is where you go. I've got a free mini course on how to identify your ideal employee in three easy steps. Amazing. Well, thanks for joining me on the show. Excited for, to hear, well, I guess, Hopefully, we never hear about bad experiences, but hoping <laughs> you take this and go really commit to being a employer that creates a great candidate experience. So thanks for jamming out with me today. It was so nice to, to meet an Instagram friend on a video in real life and have a conversation. So thanks for joining us. And listeners, we will talk with you again soon. Thanks for having me. Your business needs strategic people leadership much earlier than you think. And lucky for you over at People Principles, we've got you covered. We have launched some fractional head of people services where you can get a fractional head of people for a monthly retainer to help support you in managing the people side of your business. 
Perhaps you need more intense stuff where maybe you need some processes built out from scratch. You need to implement a performance review process, a handbook, a employee feedback survey. There's so many different things that you need. Well, I guess not so many, eight core things you need in your business and we can build it out for you. So go check out our fractional head of HR and people operations services at peopleprinciples.co. 